Are you ready, Ma? I'm ready, Erin. Let's go. Let's go to the north. Well, <laughs> in the south. <laughs> this movie takes place in the north and the south of the United States in the 1920. Yes. And I, I misspoke when I said the name of it last week. It is within our gates. What did you call it last week? With our gates. Uh. Within our gates. But you also said it was the first um, film directed by or made by a black person. Was I wrong about that too? Well, Oscar Michaud made a, this was his second film. He made a film before this. Yeah, I found that out. That's what happens when you don't do any research and you just... You um, know, you're flying by the seat of your pants. It's okay. Indeed. If you had known everything about the film, why would we be doing it? It's true. Okay, well, let's go with the particulars. Okay, so we have Within Our Gates, 1920. It was actually released January 12th, 1920. So this was made like 21 years before... Uh, um, uh, um. <laughs> okay, I, I'm gonna take a stab at it, and I'm gonna say that you're looking for Holiday Inn. I'm not. Oh, huh. I was thinking of of um Rosebud. Oh, Citizen Kane. Citizen Kane. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Ooh, I was not gonna grab Citizen Kane, people. Thank you for bearing with me. So, okay. I think that's important. Go ahead. It was, <clears throat> excuse me, written, produced, and directed by Oscar Michaud. He was what a, do <laughs> you know about Oscar? Okay, go ahead. He was <laughs> an author, a filmmaker, a film director, and an independent producer. He produced more than 44 films. He was part of the the Lincoln Motion Picture Company, and it was a short-lived first movie company owned and controlled by black filmmakers. He made his first film was The Homesteader, which was based on his novel called The Conquest. He also made The Conjure Woman, The House Behind the Cedars, and then he remade that movie with sound and called it Veiled Aristocrats. Mm -hmm. The music was by Philip Carley. Um, okay, I watched this on Netflix. You watched it on YouTube. Yes. On Netflix, the music is done by, it's a new score by Paul D. Miller, a.k.a. DJ Spooky. Oh. So I'm guessing that our musical accompaniment was different. Huh. Because about 20 minutes into mine, all of a sudden there's a, a hi-hat and, and like a, a boom-bat beat. And I'm like, wow, this is awesome. This is DJ Spooky. <laughs> it was the first, because up until then, and for a lot of it, it's very banjo-y, like banjo, piano, very of-the-time music. Because right. obviously the music did not, well, at the time they would accompany it at the theaters, I think. Yeah, play play live. Right, so there was no soundtrack. Um, 
So I was, it was just of the time of what I'm used to with silent films. And then like this, just a beat drops. And I'm like, okay. Hmm. Which I liked it. It, um, like that, it took me out of it just for that. Cause I was like, what? And then I appreciated it and it wasn't, I didn't notice it again. Oh, okay. Um, but yours probably had music by Philip Carley, and he's known—he's pretty renowned for accompanying um, silent films. Like he even goes yeah, on because there wouldn't be a soundtrack because it's silent, right? Okay, I really don't pay attention to the music. If I pay attention to the music, it's because there's something that's really irritating me, or something that I'm really loving. <laughs> Noted. Just the truth. Well, that's what that's usually people don't because it's the, a good score, unless you're you really you're like man, I really love that because it just goes with you. A lot of it's just supposed to add emotion to it. It shouldn't mm-hmm. be jarring in most cases. Um, it's starring Evelyn Prier. She starred as Sylvia Landry. She mm-hmm. was the first lady of the screen. She was the first black celebrity. Well, not celebrity, but first actress, like film celebrity. Um, she was in 16 films. She was in The Homesteader, The Conjure Woman, Ladies of the Big House. She was in Blonde Venus, where that movie, she was a prostitute opposite Cary Grant and Marlene Dietrich. What? Mm-hmm. She refused to play roles that demeaned um the demean black people and this movie and the i think in like three shorts he said are the only ones that survived mm-hmm. she died when she was 36 <gasps> my gosh she died she developed complications from childbirth and that led to a double pneumonia i was Whoa. just like what at 36 Wow. Mm-hmm. Which and that's actually a sad but good reheatable of the discrepancy between mm-hmm. black women who died during childbirth and white women. Mm-hmm. It's not talked about very often, but it's 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 pretty alarming when you look at the numbers. You're like, what? It's 2018. Healthcare, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it almost took out Serena Williams. Mm Mm-hmm. Serena Williams, not like there wasn't money there. Yeah, Serena Williams. She she knew she she had a history of blood clots, and she's telling the doctor like, ah, this this isn't right. This isn't right. And they're like, no, you just had a kid. You don't know. And she's like, I'm a professional athlete. I know my body. Mm Mm-hmm. And guess what? She was right. Yeah, and she almost died. Oh man. Oh, where's okay. Oh, we have Floyd Clements, who played Alma Pritchard. She was Sylvia's cousin. What? Alma. I know. Alma. Um, she, I don't really have a lot of, of movies that she went on to, to be in because she ended up being the first black woman to serve in the Il- Illinois General Assembly in 1958. Like, she's a big, she's a big deal politician. Wow, well done. Yeah. And then, oh, I went back to like kind of look at some scenes because 
I was reading the synopsis and I was like, I did not remember that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I had to go back and and then I was like, you know, I trust that woman's face, even though the character she plays is not a good person. But But I can see it. Turns it around. Yeah. We have James D. Ruffin. He played Conrad. Uh, Lucas D. Charles played Dr. V. Vivian. Jack Chenault played Larry the Leech, who was my favorite character of the film. And we have Bernice Ladd as Mrs. Stafford. There was like a Mm -hmm. lot of other people. But this is like an old movie, so there's there's not a lot of blue links to click on people and see what else they did. Exactly. So there's my particulars. Well, I'm going to set the table by setting the table with this quote that um, when I was researching it, this was kind of the the little snippet of what the movie's about. Mm-hmm. At the opening of our drama, we find characters in the North where prejudices and hatred of South do not exist, though that does not prevent the occasional lynching of a Negro. So, because, I mean, things weren't all perfect in the North. Okay, so we do have characters. This movie is like one hour and 17 minutes long. Mm -hmm. Okay, and Aaron found it on Netflix under Pioneers of African American Cinema. And I watched it on aforesaid YouTube. So it's real grainy. But, um, well, nerd alert, if I may. You may always do a nerd alert. This film was lost. People were like, I have heard of this Oscar Michaud. Grandparents were like, yeah, I saw a movie of his. And everybody was like, we don't know what happened to this thing. It's gone. Because a lot of these silent movies, they were, they're on some, the film they used was highly combustible. Yeah. And so they would just catch on fire. And they didn't they didn't stay long. Like they weren't preserved. Yeah, and there there wasn't any big preserving. So sometimes in the, when I, I remember as a teenager and a kid seeing the Academy Awards and there was always this big section on how they were trying to preserve lost films. So mm-hmm. these are the kind of things that they're trying to preserve because it's it's old and it's just disintegrating into ashes and stuff. Right. And so right. they need to get the money to, to go in there and try to preserve them. So everyone was like, yeah, this was lost. And then a single print was found in the 70s in Spain mm-hmm. under the title La Negra, which is the black woman in Spanish. And it had... Spanish subtitle, like the inner cards were Spanish. So when they got the print, they um, they spent the money to to read to put it back together as best they could. So they took from us one of Oscar Micheaux's nineteen twenty five films, Body and Soul. They looked at those inner cards to try to figure out, and they looked at his writing and stuff of how he would have phrased things, mm-hmm. and they had they would. Um, Somebody took the Spanish translation and translated them back and then looked at all that, put that in. There's also a chunk of film in this that's missing 
Mm-hmm. And it just has a title card of like, this part just doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> it's, we think that this is what happened at right. this part of the story. And here you go. And it's, yeah, and it's hard to, because it's, it's so primitive in the filmmaking. People didn't, they were, they were making everything up as they went along. They didn't know like what would work. How does it work? How do you convey this kind of thing and editing and stuff? So some of the things that you think might be weird cuts, they might be weird cuts because the film disintegrated and there's, they had That's to true. splice it back together. And there's things where things jump and you're like, they probably just lost those frames or when they had to go in and cut out the Spanish subtitle with the per- if the person putting in the new one, like if they were sloppy, then you have to cut around that, all this stuff. So, and you can kind of tell where the film, like just the quality, it's really low and they have to like bring it back. It's I'm glad they found it. I am too. I have a couple nerd alerts myself. Hmm. Um, one is the original film was seven reels long. Well, reels are usually about, what, 10 minutes? 10, 11 minutes? Oh, that I would not know, but oh. you would. Yeah, I think they're about. But um, it then it was uh, cut down to um, five through uh, some of it was censorship because getting this th- past the censors was really difficult. And we'll go into that in a bit. And um, also, like, going, you know, to a different country, it was cut different ways. So, um, yeah, it was taken down to five reels. Wow. And there was something else. Um, Okay. Uh, We'll get to that later in Tasty Nuggets. Ah. So... This is what um, Oscar Michaud was trying to achieve with this film. This film portrays the contemporary racial situation in the U.S. during the early 20th century. I wrote really small. It's hard to read. Um, um, the Through the years of Jim Crow, the revival of the KKK, the great, great migration of the Blacks, and the New Negro. So he was trying to show education was really important in this film that through education, people don't have to be looked down upon. They, uh, they can be equal. Mm-hmm. A lot of people say it's his direct reaction to W.D. Griffith's The Birth of a Nation. Exactly. Exactly. So we have characters... In the north, we have Sylvia. She's um, a school teacher from the south, and she's visiting the north. And she gets, she's visiting her cousin, cousin Alma. Her cousin Alma, okay. She gets a letter saying that um, she has agreed to be Conrad's wife. Conrad lives back in the south. Well, Conrad is away on military. He's in the military. And he was That's away right. in the military somewhere. Well, it it seems that cousin Alma, who is a divorcee, which in 1920, who knew, was secretly in love with Conrad. So Alma is not happy about that letter. Well, um, we see Conrad in a tent 
writing a letter, another letter. And um, then we meet Larry Pritchard. He's Alma's stepbrother, and he is pursuing Sylvia. He's also known as the leech. Yeah, he uh, is not a good person. And um, he and and Alma is trying to push them together so she can have Conrad. So um, Sylvia's title card says, I'm so sorry, but really, well, I don't love you. And the truth is, I'm already engaged. And Alma's listening. Well, then we meet Philip Gentry. He's a detective. And he gets a letter from the police chief saying, look out for this Larry dude. He's around and he's a notorious member of the underworld. So um, he, we're supposed to be looking out for him. And the detective sees him on the street. <laughs> There's then, a lot of plot, like just, oh, they just happen to run into each other. Yeah. Well, yeah, it has. Uh -huh. Because this was my other nerd alert, I forgot to say. There were no reshoots. Oh, yeah, because he had no money. There's no money. No, There's no reshoots. He didn't go to school for filmmaking. This was his second film, so he's just he's just uh, doing this on the fly the best he can. Exactly. So they, you know, like we, we can't have a lot of location shots, and every shot, that's it. Mm -hmm. There's no retakes. Okay, so um, a telegram comes for Sylvia saying that Conrad is arriving on Thursday, but Alma gets it and she reads it and she keeps it with a devious look on her face. <laughs> so that night, the detective sees Larry with uh, some other guys uh, playing cards. They're gambling and Red is um, a bad guy and he's a professional gambler. But Red is cheating because he has a mirror. And as he's dealing the cards, he can, how did, I mean, okay. He can see what cards he's dealing everybody. And so there is a shootout. Now the shootout on my copy was really fuzzy. Yeah. And you couldn't really see what happened in the shootout. You just heard guns. Oh, I didn't even hear guns. It was like, yeah. I had guns in mine. In Although mine. that that might have been when the beat dropped, so it might have been. Oh, okay. And I was like, oh, oh. Well, at this time, Sylvia and Alma are napping, and they wake up, and they, um, and Sylvia had had a dream, and she saw Larry kill Red in her dream. <laughs> Oh, now, guys, part. this is a silent movie, so a lot of things are happening, and then you'll have a title card come up. Because you're like, why is she making that face? Like, there's a, there's some things where you can you pick up on, and you're like, oh, she's shocked, and oh, she's... But then there's other things that happen where you're like, why is she startled from her nap? Yeah. Oh, she had the dream? Weird. Yeah. Well, it must be Thursday because Conrad arrives. Now, remember, Sylvia doesn't know this, and Alma has set this up so that um, she invites Conrad in, and they're waiting on Sylvia, waiting on Sylvia, and Alma's having a lovely talk because she's in love with Conrad. And um, they go up to her bedroom to find her, and there's another man in her bedroom. Now, it's obvious she is trying to get away from this guy. And was he a white guy? 
I I didn't pay attention to that. Well, because I was gonna do a POW count, but then oh, I have I have a I have a WP count. <laughs> oh, W white people. Oh yeah, WP my count. my people of white count POW. Yeah, I, I didn't. Um, I I don't know. I my official count is there were a lot. <laughs> More than I expected. Yeah, me too. I was like, mm, there's too many to count in this. I, I can't. But I th- I think he I think he was, or he was extremely light skinned. Yeah, and there were several that were extremely light skinned, including Sylvia. We'll get into that later. Well, Conrad just sees a man in her bedroom. And uh, she runs to him, and he rejects her, and then he's choking her. <laughs> he went he went from zero to 60 real fast, and yeah, he just started choking her. It's like, well, then you didn't want to be married to him anyway. <laughs> yes. Sylvia, you dodged a bullet. Yeah. If you can get your neck out of his hands, that exactly. is. And, and then she's just saying, Conrad, let me explain, and he just rushes away. It's over. Mm-hmm. You, I can't believe you, you, you almost made me kill you. Yeah, it was your fault. You brought this to me. And you know what? Conrad's a bit of a doofus in my opinion. I was not that, that like, oh, what's up, Conrad? No. Very doofus. Better looking than Larry. Okay, well, the next um, title card says, Far from civilization and in the depths of the forest of the South, where ignorance and lynch law reign supreme, we find the hamlet of Piney Woods and the school for Negroes. And we're introduced to Reverend Wilson Jacobs and his sister, and they run this school. And Sylvia arrives because she's got to leave because she's been shunned because there was a man in her bedroom. And he might have been a man of whiteness. (laughs) So um, she wants to help the school and she thinks she can raise money for the school. And new students keep arriving, but they don't have money for the new students. The state will pay them $1.49 a year year. for each Negro child to be educated. And I was like, well, it's 1920 money, but still, even 1920 money, I I think it's a bit cheap. Yeah, that's not a lot. I don't think what. I mean, how do you buy? How do you buy any supplies? Well, they're not buying um, supplies. They're learning to read, and arithmetic. Yeah, but you need books for that, and you need you know little chalkboards and shit. Okay, well, and the people are too poor to pay, and Sylvia wants to uplift her race. Well, now we go back to the city and Larry's still there. Sylvia's going to go up north to raise money to give to Piney yeah, Woods. Yeah, because the reverence says, look, um, I gotta, we got to close the school. I've gone as long as I can go, but there's absolutely no money. Like, we're going to have to close it. And Sylvia's like, no, I'm going to go up north and I'm going to get us some money. And she just packs her bag and she goes north. And where does she go? Does she go to Philadelphia to raise money? Does she no. go to Harlem to raise money? Yeah. No. Does she go to Washington, D.C. to raise money? No. No. She goes to Boston. She goes to Boston. <laughs> I, I laughed at that. I found that very funny. I was, what? 
was 1920s Boston like did it have a super different reputation than it does currently? <laughs> I I I would think it might have had a little bit better because she went there, but I don't know. Yeah, I was just like, huh? Yeah, all Boston right. Boston is is not Bo- the Boston has a rep. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's a reputation. Okay, well here we meet Dr. V. Vivian, and. In one of the things I read, she meets a white doctor. Dr. V. Vivian is not a white doctor. No, but he is extremely light. It's not just that he's extremely light. His hair is very straight. He has very straight hair, and his features are um, more on the European side. Well done. I I think that his his features play more on the European side. Yeah, yeah. And did you ever watch the Blackish episode on colorism? Mm-hmm. I I was thinking about that a lot watching this film. Well, you have to. I know. I mean, I, mean, I think Blackish should listen to our podcast, and they could get some ideas. Well, Dr. V. Vivian is passionately engaged in social questions, um, educating black youths. So Sylvia arrives and gets robbed. (laughs) Yeah. Right away. See, so Noah Boston is just the same. And Dr. V. Vivian comes out and he pursues that person. Oh, wait a second, Ma. Dr. V. Vivian is asking all these questions to himself looks out the window as he's trying to find answers, is smitten with the the woman that is Sylvia. He sees her, and he's like, who is she? I have not she's seen lovely. her in Boston before. And she's standing on the corner. She, The guy just comes up, takes her bag, and Vivian, who is what, on at least the second floor of that building, looks and is like, ah! And he just takes off. He leaves his building, runs downstairs. He happens to know a shortcut the inner titles tell us. And so when the guy is running down the alley, V. Vivian just sticks out the old foot, trips him, gets the bag back, and then he gets to meet Sylvia. That is the difference between the educated Negro and the street Negro. Because mm-hmm. he knew, he. I mean, he didn't have to use his fists. He used his smarts. Yes. Okay, well, somehow in here, we meet this white woman named Geraldine. What do you mean it, how is, like, which, the one that ran over Sylvia? No, we haven't gotten there oh. yet. <laughs> no, so we meet Geraldine, and, and she... Does not want black people to get the vote. Oh, yeah. That's a big issue right now well, is black people getting the vote. Well, Geraldine is, this is how much Geraldine doesn't want black people to get the vote. Geraldine doesn't want women to get the vote because if women start voting, then they're going to just give black people. Who's next? Black people? So Geraldine's <laughs> like, no, I don't even want women to have the right to vote. Because once you give us the right to vote, it's a slippery slope. What next? That is slippery slope. A dog is going to be voting next. Transgender people. Can you imagine? Unbelievable. Okay, well, then we go back to Sylvia. And Sylvia is 
uh, walking along the street and a car comes. She sees a little white boy is going to get hit by the car. So she runs and pushes the little white boy out of the way. And she gets hit by the car who just happens to be driven by a philanthropist. Do we know her name? No. I just call her the philanthropist through this. Yeah, I think I, I referred to her as the nice white lady. Yeah, and so my WP is two at this point. Well, wait a second. She gets hit by the car, and then white people come out of the woodwork to help her and oh. lift her up and put her in the car. At which point, I literally just dropped the pen and was like, there's too many. <laughs> oh, okay. Because I must have been looking down, taking notes at that point. I didn't see Oh, that. yeah. A grip. Like, the old lady does not carry Sylvia into her car. No. Like, the townsfolk just come out of nowhere. I got nervous, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, what are they going to... Is the, is the white child okay? Because if it's not, this might go She's very dead. sideways yeah, yeah. for Sylvia. Right. Exactly. Well, uh, Sylvia's in the hospital. And... Um, the philanthropist comes to visit her, I believe. Mm -hmm. And it just happens that she has a telegram in her bosom that didn't get dislodged when she got hit by the car and didn't move when they, did they change her into a gown? I don't know. But it says, <laughs> they were it very talks respectful. About... They were like, <laughs> she's not given her consent for us to remove her undergarments. Okay, so that part, that's a good reheat. Um, it's about the school closing in 10 days. And the philanthropist is like, I'm going to help with this. How much well, do you need? Yeah, and the philanthropist goes home and Geraldine comes over to her house. And so she, I guess they're having tea and tea and biscuits and Geraldine is trying to talk her out of giving money to that black school. Come on. You don't want to do that. You want to give the money to pastor Ned instead. Oh, I couldn't figure out where Ned came into this. Yeah. He is a, he is a black pastor oh. of a black church and you want to give your money to him instead. So I had to take a drink on that one. <laughs> So did they, and then did she go see Pastor Ned? Because at one point, the audience, we see Pastor Ned giving up. At that point, we see Pastor Ned doing his thing. Yeah. And he is, you know, I mean, you know, he is jumping around and he is preaching. And, but he's uh, preaching course, some interesting things. He's saying that he. Not is, yet, not yet. Oh, not yet. oh okay. Oh, maybe, maybe it is. Cause this is where I pretty much, you know, when we get to halfway through the movie, yeah. I stop taking notes, but so much more happens. Well, Ned is, he's giving his thing is look black people. We are mistreated by white people. We know it. They probably know it, but our, and they, they we don't have an edge. There's a lack of education, but our lack of education and our simple, modest ways is going to be rewarded in heaven. And the white people, they're going to go, they're going to hell. So let's not get like all uppity and let's not get these big dreams and stuff. Let's just let's be content where we are now. Stay in our lane. Just stay in your lane because by staying in your lane, you are not being corrupted by the sins of the white man. 
and you're going to go to heaven. These white folks going straight to hell. Now, pass the, pass the, um, bring, give me all your money now. Yeah. Now give me all your money so that I can keep it for me and you guys are poor and, but just pray that hunger away. Right. And then does he go, like, do we stay with him for the next part of it? Well, I stopped taking notes, as I said, but there are uh, many other things that happen. Uh, yeah. And one of them is that, um, who went to him to when he's preaching to his congregation um, about the black vote? We don't really care about the black vote. We don't want the black vote. We want to stay in our lane. Yeah. And, but but he's paying those people. He's giving some of his money to those. Like he's kissing up to the white. People. Oh yeah, because then there's a scene where he goes to to and he's like. Um... He's he's one of the good ones, so he's allowed to converse with these white guys. And when he's conversing with them, he's all like, "No, like we don't want the right to vote. We're fine, stay in our lane. Y'all are gonna go to hell. We're good." And he's kind of like one of them. And then they all leave. And then he he breaks the fourth wall and he stares directly into the camera. And then the inner title comes up and basically says, look at me. I betrayed my race just to, to get in and fit in with these white people. And, oh, you know, basically for some money. Um, Which is the exact opposite of what he's preaching to his people. Yeah. And he's like, you know, I'm just going to go to hell, I guess. And mm-hmm. it's, it's, a, it's a, it's, it's interesting because it's the thing that we never see. We always see in those movies with the old time movies where you see like the black character that's all, you know, like the happy slave or like the happy step help guy. Yeah, this like the step and fetch it thing. We had one of those in this movie. Yeah, and then but you never see in the movie the the guy, his inner dialogue of him realizing, like yeah, oh. I, he basically hated himself mm-hmm. because he, you know, taking that mask off and just being like, yeah, I'm selling all my people down the river. Like, and you know what? That's what happened because there were black people that sold black people down the river. Exactly. There and, were black people that owned black people. Yeah. And and he's just like, yeah. So I'm like, damn, Michelle is just, he's just got all sorts of commentary going. He addressed every stereotype there was he was like what else you got all out in the open yeah um and at another time there is an interspersing between a white man with sylvia and he is attempting to rape her well i think that we should like that is (laughs) the end of this movie so just to a quick recap um sylvia raises the money the woman the, the two women do have a great scene again where she comes back and she was like, you know, after you told me about that I shouldn't give the money to the school, I thought about it and I'm not going to give them $5,000. And the white woman is so happy. She, and then the other, the nice white lady is like, I'm giving them $50,000. 50000 <laughs> Yeah. Oh, and the white lady, the look, she just looks and she's just like, What? <laughs> Yeah, so Sylvia goes back and is a hero. She has $50,000 for 
that she is brought back to the school. And mm-hmm. the reverend is so smitten. He's just like, marry me. Just, <laughs> just marry me. We'll run the school. And, but Sylvia's thinking back of Dr. Vivian. She's like, I, but I met this doctor. He was great. I love him. Well, oh, what's his face of another plot convenience? Larry the Leech. He has to get out of the North because, you know, they're after him for the shooting of Red. He ends up in the same town. He's got a whole bunch of, uh, you know, crap jewelry and stuff. And so he runs into a fence kind of guy. And the guy's like, oh, man, you know, um, Friday, Saturday's payday. Go down by the Piney Woods School and we're going to get all of those sharecroppers who don't know anything. We're, we'll get all their money and, buy, and they can buy all this crap jewelry. So then he's walking. Larry is. He runs into Sylvia. And then he's like, oh, Sylvia. And then he kind of blackmails. I don't know how he knows that Sylvia has that money. But somehow Larry the Leech. He sees it. She She's oh. looking in her purse for something. And he sees the wad of cash. Mm. $50,000. So Larry's basically like, um, you need to come with me and be my wife and stuff. Or if you, and she's like, no, I don't want to. So he's like, well, then you need to give me that money. And he's like, she's like, no, I don't want to give you that money either. No. And so I think that she ends, and she doesn't want to be married to the reverend. So she, Sylvia ends up going back north. And then um, Larry the Leech ends up going back. No, Sylvia ends up, I don't, I forget. Sylvia does leave because it was raining. And I do remember I was like, ah, oh, it's raining. So she goes somewhere. Larry the Leech ends up going back north to see Alma. Alma's like, why, you're dumbass. Why did you come here? The, the, the inspector guy's been staking out the place. Larry goes, so the Spectre guy's following Larry. Larry goes to steal some more stuff from somebody. He gets caught by the Inspector guy. The Inspector guy, they have a shootout. Larry gets wounded. He staggers outside. And this is my favorite thing in the entire film. Me personally. He, he, he staggers up. He has the gun in his hand. Larry turns to shoot it. It's empty. He looks at the gun. And he just throws it down in disgust. The way that I've never seen anyone ever throw a gun. He threw it down like it was a, a I don't know, what's some, like a pen that didn't work. <laughs> just right on the ground. Very dramatically. I laughed so hard. I rewound it and watched it over and over oh, again. I missed that. Because, I missed of that how, because of how he threw I was like, Dude, is that the gun that he just threw like that? Usually people, they, they toss a gun. Or they drop it in a gutter. He just threw it down. <laughs> and then, of all things, he happens, as he's wounded, he happens to run in, literally fall in the arms of Dr. Vivian. Dr. Vivian tries to save him, but he can't. He dies. And so Dr. Vivian is talking to his sister, Alma, and Alma confesses to Dr. Vivian. Because I think the doctor's probably like, yeah, I'm looking for this woman, Sylvia, and mm-hmm. Alma's like, oh, that's my cousin. I have to confess something. I did Sylvia super dirty. And then... And then this is all told in flashback. Then we go to the story, Sylvia's story. And you're like, what? 
we're gonna get to Sylvia's story. So then we go back. It was in the South. Sylvia was adopted by a black sharecropping family. They sent her to school. She comes back. She knows numbers and how to read and everything. She's looking at the at the numbers for the sharecropper because they keep owing all this money to the landlord. And she's looking at the numbers and she's like, no, you know, this is you guys, you know, you have enough money saved and stuff. You hear the numbers. You can take this to the guy. So her dad takes it to the um, the guy. His name is like Grindenwald. It was like, yes, it was something like that. Grindenstall something. And he, he was an old white man that black people feared and like White people kind of couldn't stand either. He was a very, like, Scrooge. He was a Scrooge no, guy. Yeah. So he he goes and he gives it, he shows it to him. And the white guy's like, oh, you think you think you're all that? Because your daughter knows math now and stuff. And you think that I can't be cheating you out of. And so they're having an argument. While they're having an argument, this guy who I guess it, you would call him, um, like a poor white person with a really odd beard. <laughs> like it looked like yes. it, was, it was painted on. Yes. Um, he it looked like a Keenan Thompson in a, in a Saturday night live. Skit yeah. It looked like beard. a rug that was on his face. Yeah. He, he comes up. And so, you know, it wasn't just black people that this guy was screwing over. And so the white guy, he gets his gun and he's in the window and he shoots um, the white guy through the window when he's talking with Sylvia's dad. And then the white guy's Ephraim is the white guy's, uh, what, butler servant guy. And he is like the super stereotypical Uncle Tom step guy. Stephen Fitch. Yeah, he's, you know, so he... Um, he all he sees is the Sylvia's father with the gun and the sh- the dead white guy, and she's like, "Oh my god, that Landry done killed the guy!" So he goes and immediately goes to town to tell and say that Landry killed the rich white guy. He didn't he didn't see him kill it. He, all he saw was the aftermath. He he just just rats him out. Talk about snitches, man. So. They the whole town is like what Landry killed him. So meanwhile at the Landry's place, they they're all packing up. They're like we got to get out of here now. They think I killed the man. So they're they're out. They're they're going. I think they split up. Sylvia goes somewhere, and her little brother and mom and dad they go in a different direction. They end up getting caught. The little brother ends up um. Like the, I mean, and by caught, like they have them and they have the nooses around their neck. In the melee and commotion, the little brother's able to take the noose off his neck. He starts running. The white townspeople get the gun out and they shoot him. He's down on the ground. And I'm like, man, damn, they just shot the little boy in the back. And then, he, but he was playing possum. And I'm like, damn, that's right, son, get up. And he gets up and he jumps on a horse and he hightails it. And. I don't know if they ever caught him. I don't know either. I, I don't know either. I don't know either. Because we don't see that. We just see him leave. So ho- I'm in my mind, he escaped. 
His mom and dad did not escape. They get lynched. Right. There's no trial. There's the mom and dad. I mean. Yeah. There's no, um, you have the right to an, a lawyer. There's no, there's no, there's not even like the pretense of justice. They're just like, nope. This black guy said they, oh, and, but before they even catch him, so the black guy's there and he's, he's all like, ha ha, look at all these white people. They all love me and stuff. And then when they can't find the family, they turn to him and they're like, they literally just say, well, since we haven't hung anyone in a Somebody's going to die today. You know, I mean, like, what? We've been out here bloodthirsty for at least 90 minutes and have not hung a thing. Oh, excuse me, sir. You'll do. So then he, and in my favorite shot of the film, he sees all the white people turn on him and it superimposes him with the being hung with the noose and his, like, neck out. And because he knows, he's like, man, I thought these white people loved me. And it was mm-hmm. like, nope, you sold out your own people for this. And then they get and then they get hung. He gets hung. They get hung. Sylvia survives because she was staying with family. But then while they're burning her family's bodies, the brother of the white guy, he wants to know where Sylvia is because he's like, we didn't get them all. So I guess they probably did get the brother. I don't know. He sees Sylvia. He tries to rape her. She's she's fighting back, fighting back. Like she's doing a great job fighting back, which is great because that was something that you also didn't see. So she's not she's not like, oh, it's the white man, do whatever you want. She's like, nah. And her hair gets wild. I'm like, go, sister, go. And then the guy looks and he sees a scar on her chest and he stops. And I'm like, why is this white guy stopping at the scar on his chest? Turns out that white guy sees the scar and knows that Sylvia is his daughter. Yeah. He was married to a black woman. No, 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 no. Oh, nerd alert. Well, in the inner titles, it said that. But in my mind, I was like, this guy is like raping a woman. And I'm supposed to believe that he was happily married to like a black woman. I'm like, they feel like the censors made them do that. Yeah, I'm like, he raped a white black woman. In 1920, that would not have been a legal marriage anyway. Nowhere in the United States. I thought that, yeah, because I wasn't legal until 1967. Mm -hmm. So I was just like, huh, that reeks of bullshit right there. But he decided that he didn't want to rape his daughter, which... Okay, that's a good move. Yeah, some scruples. So Sylvia's able to escape, and that's Sylvia's story. And then one of my MVP moments is it cuts back to Alma and Dr. Vivian and the look on Dr. Vivian's face. (laughs) I laughed because he's just, he's got a great look. His look is, oh, okay. (laughs) That's a story. She's got some baggage, but still, but, but where is she? The um the filmmaking of of the lynching kept getting spliced in with the rape scene, kept getting back, so it was back and forth and back and forth mm-hmm. because he wanted to show. Oh, I have a quote. Who well, he wanted? He who are the real barbarians here? 
We watched the whole movie. D.W. Griffin's Birth of a Nation is all about how black people can't be trusted because they're not human. They're primitive. They're barbarians. And Oscar Michaud is like, yeah, black people aren't the ones who just like lynch whole families and just go around raping people just because they think they can. Well, this said they, they he intercut the lynching with the attempted rape to deconstruct the white ideology that lynching was to punish black men for alleged sex assaults against white women. So it's saying, okay, yeah, like... Uh, you're, you lynch people because oh they they were going they they were going to um, sexually assault a white woman by just looking at her. But this has been going on for centuries with white men taking advantage of of their slaves. Mm-hmm. And I think that that the title of the movie is also kind of I read something about how it's like. It takes a line from the from birth of a nation mm-hmm. within our gates, and it's kind of meant to say like, yeah, well, if if you want to come inside our gates, like, you best be prepared. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was really good. It was I I watched Roma before it. I was so much more engrossed in this film than any part of Roma. Yeah. I could see that. Okay, do you have more nerd alerts for us? Yeah, more nerd alerts. Um, oh, I did like the. I thought it was a cool shot when he showed how the card, how excuse me, how Red was cheating at the card game. Because mm-hmm. you got to see the mirror and stuff. I was like, oh, that's pretty in- ingenious. Where was the mirror? The mirror was in the table. It was under oh, it the, was table. In the table. Yeah, because okay. he was the guy that was shuffling. He was yeah, dealing the cards. I couldn't figure out where so the, the mirror, mirror was. was under the table, and so he was able to look to see what card he was dealing to people. Right. Um, and then Ephraim's lynching superimposed shot. That was cool. Yes. Um. What what reheatables do you have? Um. Um. My, oh, that's my MVP. My reheatable. Um, <laughs> oh, here they are. The casting, well, no, that's a, that's an MVP. Reheatables. The church stereotypes education. Oh, the church and, um, it, it reminded me of last, last week, um, how green was my valley with the with the minister saying you people come to church so you think you're good people but then when you leave the church you're not doing the things that you know we we talk about here that what would jesus do you go back and and you gossip and all that um and um that happened a little bit in this and the stereotypes how he addressed every stereotype like he didn't just he didn't just show the good he showed all all of his people and all of the levels they were on. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a good reheatable, and that education was stressed. Yes, my good reheatable. My bad one was um, language, and um, and and the. Uh, because of the filmmaking and the restoration process, some scenes were so dark it was just hard to see. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
Uh, mine was, I like that Sylvia got sent away to get an education. So she was an mm -hmm. educated woman. And then how she... And actually, her white father paid for her education. Yeah, the guy that was going to rape her. Going to rape her, yeah. Um, But yes, that she... And then, like, and how proud her family was. And then how she was like, what? I'm going to be a teacher because I'm going to give back. Like, mm -hmm. when her when her life didn't turn out the way that she thought it was, she was just like, well, I'm just going to go be a teacher. And mm -hmm. then... And then they're like, the school's going to close. And she's like, not on my watch. I'm packing my bag and I'm going to Boston by myself. I'm going to come back with some money. I was like, damn, Sylvia. And maybe a lobster. Yeah. Um, and then how she was you know, doing the family books and stuff. And I also liked his like, oh, you know, who are the who are the real barbarians here? Mm -hmm. with all of this you're always making black people out to be less than human but like look what you're doing you know and, and casting them as they were the barbarians mm -hmm. i was like oh man y'all don't look good at all mm -mm. and how it was in direct contrast to birth of a nation because in birth of a nation you know the black people in that are all are are depicted as uh, I mean, it, like animalistic. That's why they're. That's why it's like it's for their own good that we're treating them this way. Right. And that right. the clan is being, the clan has to come back together because we have to deal with this threat. And they look at them. They're they're not even. They don't even know how to behave or anything. And he's like, so Michelle's like, oh, we don't know how to behave. Mm -hmm. We're just trying to. We just got some land. We're trying to farm and have our kids go to school. What's primitive and barbaric about that? All the ones coming in here with your rules and you're lynching just because somebody looked at a woman and then you with all your raping of our women and mm -hmm. then you have the clan here and then you won't even let us vote or anything. All of this stuff that you're doing to us. Because you have to. And it's like, that's bullshit. Um, my bad would have to be the, the whole Ephraim character's tough. <laughs> it's like, oh man. But but he addressed it. I know. You have like it is. It's just it's still tough. Still yeah, tough. Yeah, it's look. tough to watch and then just like then... Ned's a, Ned's a tough watch. And then also, you know, the guy about to rape his daughter. That's that's not yeah. great. Right. Right. <laughs> like, uh Um, my MVP. My MVP I have two MVPs. One is the little boy, because I don't know if he escaped, but he definitely tried, and I loved yes. seeing that. He was like, now nah, I'm yes. out of here. <laughs> And no. put them, he's like, I'm nobody's pay attention. I'm gonna take flip this noose off. He's running. They shoot at him. He knew enough to fall down, and then he's playing dead. And he gets up and hops on the horse, and he's like, I'm out of here. I'll I'll figure it out later. And then, because even if his father had killed the white man, why does the wife and the child have to die too? Yeah, exactly. I mean, these are the, because, yeah. Oy vey. Um, and then Larry the Leech. 
because I, I just enjoy I like the way Larry the Leech walked I liked all his scenes I didn't really feel like I needed a lot of title cards for Larry the Leech no I just knew that he was up to no good you can tell by looking at him and, he, and he just and he, I just liked his walk and how I like his shaking shake down and you know my favorite all time is how Larry the Leech got rid of his gun because he was so <laughs> disgusted by it it was almost as if Michelle was like Larry I want you to look at that gun and when you look at it, I want you to know that it is the it is why you are dying and it was a, it represents the life of crime and it led you down this path and you should have thrown it away a long time ago but you didn't and you're it's too late now and he's like I That's got it. it and then he throws it down damn it's, it's damn great. you gun it's great my MVP was the quote we were never immigrants mm. hello hello mm. and um and the backstory, you know, I mean, that's what I was thinking of with Citizen Kane, how he showed his backstory. Well, this guy did it 20 years earlier. Yeah. And I, and then it kind of didn't make sense because I did think like, huh, Sylvia's pretty light-skinned. Mm -hmm. And I was like, is this, is this the colorism back in it again? Because he was light-skinned and mm -hmm. then... Um, Ned was dark skin. Ephraim was dark skin. Um, even like Alma was darker than That's Sylvia. True. That's and, true. And and Conrad was dark skin. And then Doctor Vivian was light skin. But then Larry was also light skin. So I, yeah. I just was like, oh, it's kind. It's just it's very interesting. Hmm. Because in now, this is my question for you. Um, his other movie was called Body and Soul, and yours was called Truth and Soul. Yes. Was that on purpose? It probably was at the time. Okay. <laughs> <There's> okay. <laughs> but I couldn't watch any of these these movies. They weren't available to me. Right. So I just, right. I based it all on, like, I don't even know if Wikipedia was a thing then. What it, what whatever resources you have. Yeah, whatever online, for, if it was Wikipedia or something else, where I was just like, who is the oldest black filmmaker? Oh, Oscar Michaud? Okay. And what a great name. And in your movie, speaking of colorism, um, Oscar Michaud's wife was extremely light-skinned. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, who was it's his wife? Um, she wasn't in this movie, but in, in your movie, his oh. wife was Jess. Oh, because I was casting? Yeah. Oh. Because it was a musical, remember? Well, no, Ma. It was a bluesical. I'm sorry. And and Jess could sing, so you decided his wife was an extremely light-skinned woman. Ah, yes. Well, you know, Michelle would, would like that because I was using the resources available to me. There you go. Exactly. So it was like, oh, you can try to cast somebody or you can have the person that's actually shooting the film and you know is always going to be on set play this person. <laughs> exactly. I thought it was perfect. Well, like, oh, perfect. Okay, did you do recasting? I did. I only did one cast. I ran out of time. I only did one cast as well. Okay. 
I did a I did a white cast. And my quote with it is I, I did I a white it. cast because if there's one thing I know, it's white people. <laughs> well, it's your Hamilton. I mean if you it's were It's my Hamilton cast. It's your Hamilton cast of <laughs> within our gates. Oh man, can you imagine the internet if we're like we're gonna redo within our gates, but we're doing it with an all white cast. <laughs> but, oh, well, so what? I need I need to do some changes here. Why? Okay, because I have everybody white, and I need Geraldine and, and the philanthropist to be different. Okay, well, ready you, for you don't. You could just <laughs> even okay, the white I'm people go with what I have. Yeah, because it's theater, and you should be able to play any part. Okay, my Sylvia. Kristen Bell. <laughs> okay. My Alma, Elizabeth Banks. Cause they aren't they interchangeable. Kristen Bell and Elizabeth Banks. Yeah, I never know which is which. <laughs> yeah. Well. Yeah. I mean, I think Elizabeth Banks is sneaky older than Kristen Bell. Well, then I did it perfectly. Yes. Okay. My Conrad is Chris Pine. Okay, I could see that. Did you have you watched the I Am the Night yet? I the first one. I watched the first one too. We'll discuss later. Okay, my Larry is Robert Downey Jr. He'd <laughs> be a good Larry. My Pastor Ned is Seth Rogen. Well, that's interesting because yeah, Seth Rogen isn't. Christian, so boy, he can play. He can play a pastor. It's Hamilton casting. (laughs) That is Hamilton casting. Now for Geraldine, who I should have had be a black person, uh, but I did it because it's an all-white cast. Because if there's one thing I know, it's white people. (laughs) If there's one thing I know, it's white people. (laughs) I have Kathy Bates as Geraldine. Yes, I see that. The philanthropist. You know how she wobbled, went back and forth? Goldie Hawn. Uh, okay. You didn't buy that, but you will when you think about it. And my Dr. V, Vivian, is Brad Pitt. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Drop the mic. Yeah, that's a pretty good cast. I know. <laughs> All right. Well, would you like to hear my cast? I want to hear your cast. So for Sylvia, I casted Zoe Kravitz. Yes, totally. For Conrad, I cast Sam Richardson. Do you know who that is? No. He was the he was in Veep. I forget what his character is. Yes, in yes, Veep. yes, 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 yes. Uh huh. And he's yes. in like a bunch of other things. Yes, yes. Um, for the nice white lady. I casted Vanessa Redgrave. Okay. And for the mean white lady, I guess I should call her the bigoted racist white lady. Yeah. I cast Judith Light. (gasps) (laughs) (laughs) Hello. (laughs) Woo. Because I was like, man, that would be a great scene, though. You got uh, Vanessa Redgrave just listening with disgust. At Judith Light just being disgusting. Yep. 
and uh, and I'm like because you needed somebody who would who, who would ultimately win, and I'm like red grave for the win. Yeah. For Alma, I have Rosario Dawson. Okay. And for Dr. Vivian, I have Mahershala Ali. And then for Larry, I can't wait. I cast Spike Lee. Oh. <laughs> and I was like, nailed it. Are you going to tell him? <laughs> <laughs> no, he's feeling really good right now. Yeah. Angriest black man in America. He, got no- he finally got nominated for Best Director. Yeah, he did. He's very happy. He should be. Mm-hmm. Enjoy it now. Okay, that's fun. I like that. Mm-hmm. Okay, tasty nuggets. I have, I already said that they could only do one take. Um, that he had to borrow costumes and props. He, he couldn't buy, get them himself. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we talked about how the original was found. Um this was done in 19, it w- it opened in 1920. In 1919, there were really bad race riots in Chicago. And so people were afraid to have this come out. They thought that it would incite more race riots. Well, isn't, like, I don't know, I could be wrong here. But weren't the race riots in Chicago, like, because, like, white, a bunch of white people decided to just start killing black people? Yeah, well, but that's because it shows lynching in here and and it shows, you know, attempted rape. They were afraid that it would start all over again. Yeah, but it's it's kind of it's just very interesting that it's like, oh, you're your movie where you're showing how what actually what's actually happening in this stuff. Like, we don't want you to show it because that might anger the people who are going around just killing your people for no reason merely right. by the skin like it's it's basically saying we don't want you to put out this because you're going to incite the people like why don't you go tell them to stop killing the people <laughs> like why you know what i mean yeah i am looking up a word i forgot to look up oh. so you tell us some of your tasty nuggets i don't have any tasty nuggets ma remember i, I told you I had yeah. an incident and I couldn't look up tasty nuggets. What's the word? Um peon peonage. Oh, peonage. it's it's somebody who's a peon. Yeah. You're okay. like less than. You don't have okay. you're not given any rights and stuff. You're a labor force that you just have to work but you don't have any rights. And I use peon all the time mm-hmm. to to talk about myself. Okay, well, it took two months to get this film past the censors, and the National Film Registry said this about it, that it was culturally, historically, aesthetically significant with, um, within our gates to educate an audience about racism, uplift, peonage, women's rights, women's rights, and ur- the urban new Negro emerging from the Great Migration. So um, the National Film Registry Registry felt it was a very important film to make. 
well, in show. Did did Birth of a Nation have to do like were the censors? Whoa, guys! I don't know. Or did I didn't that do... just go straight through and was gangbusters? Did you ever see Birth of a Nation? I did. I saw it in college. I thought so. I never have, and I don't want to. It's so... it's a it's. I'm glad that I saw it. It's a tough watch because you think, oh. Um, and, and when I saw it, it was a different time. So it was like, oh, that, that was a film that like when I was watching it, I was thinking, oh, people really felt that way. But in my mind, I thought like most people didn't feel that way. And now I don't really feel that way anymore. So it would be, it's a tough walk because so many people, it was such a huge hit and all of these Confederate statues and stuff that everybody's talking about and that some people are like, oh, it's our history. This is a time period when those statues came up. The statues didn't go up in 1870. No, not after the war. Yeah, they didn't go up in 1880. They didn't go up in 1870. They didn't go up at the end of the 1865s, the 1860s and stuff. They went up in 1919, 1920. Yeah. Like if you look them up and this is the time period and birth of a nation is this huge hit and everybody's like, Oh, it's a landmark and filmmaking achievement. And look at that. No one ever lost birth of a nation. Everyone knew exactly where birth of a nation was within our gates. Sorry, guy, We don't know. <laughs> there was a movie. Well, I don't know. Somebody in, luckily somebody in Spain had to find it. Yeah, yeah, we thought that it was pretty interesting, and we just, like, kept it. Thank goodness! Like, how many times have Europeans saved things of important blackness? <laughs> We're just like, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Sure, Josephine Baker, come on over. Crickets. <laughs> James Baldwin, yeah, yeah, that's cool. Okay, um, I also have that. Oscar Michaud's father was a slave in Kentucky. Mm. Oscar Michaud grew up in Illinois. He was a waiter in Chicago when he was young. He worked on the railroad. And then he was a homesteader in South Dakota. Wow. I wanted to know, how did he get into filmmaking? And where did the money come from to make a film? But I I didn't find that out. Well, I think he just, he got a camera. Somehow he was able to save his money and get a camera, and then the rest he is had just... something he needed to say on film. Yeah, it's obvious he he had a very a very varied life. So he was used to. I mean, if he was homesteading in South Dakota, he's used to talking to all sorts of people. Then, yeah, wonder if we're related. If he was a slave in Kentucky, well, I don't know. Your ancestry didn't say that, and somebody hasn't swabbed his cheek yet. Huh. Somebody's just taking their time on that, aren't they? Guess it wasn't a good gift. <sighs> and unfortunately, he won't hear that because he won't listen to this. Oh, yeah. That's fine. Oh, sorry, listeners. We're getting into sad territory. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is what I have about this film i thought it was great it's for free it's an hour and 17 minutes 
you can watch it without having to take notes. Um, and I thought it was really good. Mm. I thought the casting was superb. I mean, I don't know what he had to choose from, but everybody was just so good in there. I role. mean, Evelyn Preer, it says it's it said re and featuring renowned artist Evelyn Preer. So she was big time. Yeah. So Yeah. If nothing else, to watch it for how far filmmaking has come, but to think about the restrictions he was dealing with. And he, I mean, this was not just a, a boy meets girl. They fall in love. They break no, apart. He, they come back together. This was a everything huge plot. in there. He put all this stuff in there. He's like he this did. and this and this. And you're like, yeah. wow, this is, dare I say, this is an 80 minute epic. Cause he had, he was answering for birth of a nation. And mm -hmm. That is a huge undertaking. He was like, all right, y'all motherfuckers. That's right, y'all motherfuckers. Take this. Mm -hmm. All right, Ma. Well, what a great kickoff to Black History Month. Would you like to guess my... Because my first topic, my first choice was very obscure, and it was going to have to be on YouTube, but then I watched... Um, like just to see what the quality of it was on YouTube and it's not very good quality. So I'm, I'm I was... wondering if the quality of yours was better than the quality of mine because of YouTube. Oh, well probably, but I did tell you at the end of last week's episode that it was on Netflix. She did. I went there. I didn't see it. Watched YouTube. Then she came back with she, you had to bend. You would have to move look. things around. Move things around, bend, and look. <laughs> Moving on. Do I get any clues? Um, well. Is Eddie Murphy in it? No. <gasps> Wait, is, no, I don't think so. I went in a bit of a different direction, but if you were paying attention closely to this podcast, you might be able to string it together. I mean, you came out with Oscar Michaud. And you were like, we're we're doing this Black History Month. We're doing Oscar Micheaux. This is his his most famous work. So how how am I gonna supposed to follow that up with? I was pretty proud of myself, truth be there told. Was I'm only... still rather in the glow of my pick. So I was thinking about the current. I'm like, all right, well, who? What's the current? Who current best director category? Because maybe we can also tie it in with Oscars. Okay, so we're going to go with a Spike Lee joint. All right. So then it was, well, what Spike Lee joint? I'm going to say you're not going with Jungle Fever. No. I'm going to say you're not going with White Men Can Jump. Well, that wasn't a Spike Lee joint, so no. <laughs> Interesting that you think that. Are you sure? Yeah. I'm going to go with, okay, so obviously I don't have a strong concept of Spike Lee films. I'm going to go, it's not Black Klansman, although everyone should see it. And and yes, Denzel's son was robbed not being nominated. Yeah, I enjoyed Black Klansman, but and it I don't think that it's I don't I I like it, but I don't think it's one of his best movies. But this is saying somebody who's had <gasps> a lot of X. No. 
because oh, I, I did think about that. But I know that you really like Malcolm I X. really like Ma like Malcolm X to me is my favorite Spike Lee film. That's why I went with Malcolm yes. X. But it's not what I've heard other, because in this discussion about the Academy Awards, I'm like, well, what are people saying is Spike Lee's best film? Um, um, I'm not looking it up on <laughs> Google. Because I was like, well, hmm, I did. Do the right thing. It is do the right thing. Do the right thing. 1989. I, I don't think I saw it. I think I saw it one time a real long time ago. But with all this discussion, everybody's saying how Spike Lee, this is, because the Oscars, as we have known and noted on this show, it routinely acknowledges people for previous work. So Spike Lee's Black Klansman, while I like the movie, I feel that it's more of a nod for his other work. And everybody is bringing up how Do the Right Thing was notoriously snubbed. I okay. believe that Do the Right Thing, I don't even know if it was nominated. We'll find out next week. But I know that Driving Miss Daisy got the Oscar that year. Oh, Oh, Hawk. So. I'm going to make water, Miss Daisy. <laughs> <laughs> so I, and I also thought it was very interesting. I'm like, oh, do the right thing. Driving Miss Daisy, you have Black Klansman, and this year you have Green Book. Although I've not watched Green Book yet, I, I just think it's funny because it's kind of the same thing. Kind of the same thing. Yeah. Okay. Do the right thing next week. And, and what are we going to watch it on? Oh, I don't, probably Apple. I'm sure it's on Apple. We'll check to see if it's on Amazon Prime. It's on okay. Netflix and okay. then Apple. Okay. Okay, listeners. We hope you enjoyed today's Gone with the Bushes. And we'll see you next week. Black History Month. Bye-bye.